Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back. Welcome back. Of course, I always say that, but we are in our series this month talking about I Hate My Effin' Job. Today, we are going to talk through why people hate their job in regards to coworkers. You know, it's so funny that this has been a topic since the dawn of time. Like, I can remember way back in 2004 when I entered the world of L&D that uh, there are just tons of books on the shelf about you know, how to work with people you hate or how to get along with those who annoy you um, and things like that. And it's a reality, right, that people are different. Um, and as a result of people being different and having different experiences, you end up in situations where There is miscommunication. There is extreme differences of opinions. Um, And there there could be situations where, frankly, you work with someone who has a completely different value system uh, than you do, right? It ultimately boils down to this for me. There is a difference between coworkers who are unacceptable and create hostile environments or coworkers who just adamantly have a difference of opinion um, or a different perspective than you. And so one of them is potentially you need to have some conversations with people. Like if it's that hostile environment, we got to get that shit fixed. But in the other situation, for me, it really is a grow the fuck up moment. It's a, we are grownups and it's okay (laughs) that we disagree and you just got to get past it. You know, I will tell you someone that I work with at my current organization, her politics are the exact opposite of mine. Um, And politics in the United States, when you're on different sides of, of that stance, this is a difficult conversation to have with people. Like there are family members who won't even talk to each other because of their political stance, right? And um, it's, it's the reason that it's discouraged from bringing up topics like that at work because most people don't know how to handle it. But honestly, Jenny and I, one of our favorite things to do is debate out and share our point of view. Um, and the truth is we've become closer because we're, we're brave enough and grown up enough to have that conversation. But Maria, those aren't the people we're talking about here. Um, it's not the people who are going to vote a different color than you are. We're talking about the people who backstab. We're talking about the people who throw you under the bus, who don't support you, the people who don't um, proactively keep you from stumbling or falling, or maybe even put up the obstacles that create the stumble and fall. Yeah, it's interesting because I've had a couple of different coworkers in different ways that have frustrated me. And so, you know, at a previous organization, I had a coworker that was super vindictive and super ridiculous when it came to, you know, really job protection, right? She did anything and everything to make sure that her job was stable and aligned. And then she wouldn't share information. She was a stopgap in the organization. 
so that she could literally hoard the knowledge to save her job so that we, nobody else knew in our department what, like how to do what she did. And it literally created turmoil and chaos. And so it's frustrating for me as a team member in that situation because she was super vindictive, wouldn't share information, you know, was uh, manipulative, trying to get our boss to turn against us. It was horrible. It was quite horrible. And then, you know, you have other coworkers who just want to see you fail or they're not helpful or they're just, they, they're horrible to work with. There's always somebody, there's always that little, you know, negative Nancy who just wants to continuously drive you down if you're trying to achieve something. So it's, it's interesting because on our last podcast, you finished off talking and kind of prepping for this podcast episode. And you said, we're about to help you. Um, and it's a lot easier of a decision to navigate around your coworkers than it is an abusive leader. So I'm intrigued, Michelle, to really hear your perspective on how you find that it's, it's easier to live with a frustrating coworker than it is with an abusive people leader because I literally personally left an organization because of an abusive coworker. Um, so I have absolutely left departments because of uh, crazy coworkers. And I mean, those extreme, crazy, hostile work environments. I think there are certain things that it should be clear that are basically p- protected or in that peer to peer relationship, right? Like, one of the things that we're always talking to people about is who do you go to? Who is your outlet? It shouldn't be your team, right? You should never complain down. You should never voice your frustrations down or even try to get your team to help you gain alignment, right? You should have that before you go to your team. And that's what if what that's part of what your peer group should be there to do for you, right? Is to prop you up. But I've absolutely had coworkers who my exact words in private conversations with them circled back to me through my boss. And I was told mm-hmm. things like, I heard blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I know who you fucking heard it from. Um, because right? I only it's told like you dropped that little seed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so it's, it's unfortunate to say that I've had it happen enough that I do tend to plant seeds. Um, to find out who I can trust. Like when you work in a situation where you have to say something that you would be okay, like it has to be enticing enough that it would get back to your boss, but it has to be safe enough that if your boss heard it, you wouldn't care, right? Uh And I've had to plant those seeds to try to figure out who is it that I can trust um, and who can I not trust, right? Now, I want to pause for a second because based on what we just talked about and what I just said, people might be saying you should have that authentic relationship with your boss. So once again, this call is about, these podcasts are about opinions. So I'm going to give my opinion right now. BS. There are absolutely (laughs) things that I need to talk about with people that I can have a level of confidence with that I should not take to my boss or shouldn't have to. I 
don't want to go to my boss every time I'm struggling with understanding something or every time I'm struggling with figuring out how to do something. I want support people. I want advisors and partners that help me figure it out so I don't have to take that to my boss, right? So for those of you that are like, you should be able to talk to your boss about anything, shut up. Because (laughs) we're talking about the real world, not some fake world that you created in a book you wrote, okay? Can't tell your boss everything. You just can't. Um, That's true. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer in there because you know we're going to get a note that says you should be able to talk to your boss. Yes, about most things, you should. But some things um, just aren't appropriate to be a conversation with your boss. So I have experienced it, completely know what you're talking about. Here's where I have found um, that it's easier to deal peer-to-peer than it is to manage up to a supervisor. Because typically, when you have a supervisor who, let's say, might be a little narcissistic or crazy train, they are going to be in a place where they are not going to be open to coaching from you. It is not going to happen. You're either going to have to embrace you work for somebody who is mean or you're going to have to find a new job. That's the way it works, right? But really my first professional experiences started in a culture of an organization called Kinko's. Um, And if you guys don't know what Kinko's is, I would ask you to talk to historical people um, that worked at Kinko's. And at Kinko's, we developed a culture of peer-to-peer accountability. Um, You could have open and honest conversations with anyone, regardless of whether you were their boss or not, right? And so we created this environment where it was okay to go up to someone and say, hey, when you did this yesterday, here's how it made me feel. And as a result of that, here's how I think about interactions with you going forward. Um, And I think that that's completely appropriate to say with an employee who is creating um, a hostile work environment. If that does not work for you, I'm a big fan, you guys already know, of Brene Brown. Um, And Brene Brown says the greatest thing that I've ever heard in my life. It's the, what I call the, it's okay, it's not okay. That's what I call it because it's an easy way for me to remember it. Um, And basically what she says, so if you've talked to the person open and honestly and authentically, and you've said, when you do these things, here's what happens to me. Here's what happens. Um, And keep it focused on you because you shouldn't be, you should not be speaking for the other people, right? They should be speaking for themselves. So when you do these things, here's how it impacts me. Let's talk about if we can do something different to approach this relationship. Let's say that doesn't work. And let's say the person still continues to talk behind your back and set you up for failure or whatever the thing is. That's when you pull out the Brene card um, and you go, it is absolutely okay that you want to do a great job and that you feel possessive over the responsibilities you have. However, it is not okay that because of you controlling all of 
those elements that you are continually setting me up to fail because you're the only one that can do it. Or it is okay that you have such a great relationship with your boss and our boss. It is not okay that the conversations I have with you in confidence come back to me through a third person. Um, And then you put it out there and you just say, this is okay. It's okay. You've got a great relationship. It is not okay. You're talking shit behind my back. Okay. You don't have to say it that way. You can say it the way I did the first time. (laughs) Um, And then you have to go for it and you have to say, moving forward, I need you to understand any conversation that we have in confidence needs to be kept that way. Got it? Good. You know, it's so much easier said than done. I think it's tough for people to have that confrontation. And I think it's... Right? I think some people are non-confrontational. I'm personally non-confrontational. That's a tough conversation for me to have. You know, it's super funny. I actually used to tell people all the time. You probably remember this. I used to tell people I was an ISTP, which that S and that T in my MBTI measurement means that I tend to be very direct. And in fact, that was my score the last time, or that was my my four-digit, my four-letter word the last time I took it. But the truth is, what I really am, what I was the first time, um, and really, when I'm not trying to adjust myself for the environment around me, I'm an I and F um, P. And that means that confrontation isn't my favorite either. What I have learned is that if I'm not willing to say what I need to say, I'm going to get run over. And maybe that's not true in every case, um, but there are some historical experiences in my life that tell me it is easier for me to be strong. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with you. I think even though I'm not confrontational or, you know, I'm a non-confrontational person, I think if you're going to sit there and complain about something and there's no results and you don't want to do anything about it, that's a problem, right? And just sit there and continue to complain and vent, right? But you need to do something. You need to take action. So for me, you know, I found that I've had to get outside of my comfort zone and confront or speak with um, my peers, my coworkers, and let them know, you know, at least from a perspective. And whether you do it in a lighthearted way or you do it in a serious way, it's going to be whatever works for you and your communication style. But it also helps if you find like a window or an opening, like if you're talking about a topic and that window opens for you to just kind of lead down that path, so much easier for you to start that conversation. You know, so um, I was actually recently able to have a very tough conversation with someone that I have a really great relationship with at work. Like um, it's someone that I've partnered with really well, someone that I could reach out to regardless of what was going on. And I knew that the conversation with this person was going to be uncomfortable because I was going to, I was going to put the person on the spot. Like I was literally going to have to call them to the mat I think that's a boxing term. Is that a boxing term? Like where you call them right? to the mat yes. so you can mm-hmm. box Let's or go. have it Let's out? Let's do this. Okay. So um, I knew that that was going to be a result of it. And interestingly enough, the night before my conversation, I was included on a chat 
where someone else I work with had to have a really tough conversation, almost identical reasons with someone that they consider a valued friend. And they still do, even after this conversation. But as I was reading the text where they were sharing what happened, I immediately said, okay, you know what? We're playing um, for keeps on this one. Um, And I had to call the person out because the person was making choices and statements that were non-factual and unsupported. And yet they had the ability to truly impact someone's profess, someone else's professional career because of the unfounded statements, right? And so I said, enough's enough. And I did challenge that person to be different um, than they were showing up. I need you to show up different in the future than you're showing up right now. I like that, different. Yeah, that's a good one. We should copyright that or something. We just did because we just said it. I think that's the way copyright works or trademark, right? And maybe that's that next step is where you say, I'm going to, my favorite phrase in the world, my team laughs at me um, because as a Southerner, we tend to shorten all words because it's really hard to say going. It's not, but I'm making a joke and I'm from the South my whole life, so I can make that joke. And so... (laughs) I tend to squish a whole bunch of words together and I say, I'm going to need you instead of saying, I'm going to need you. So maybe that's what we need to do is say, I'm going to need you to show up different in the future if we're going to work together successfully. I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you to show up different. (laughs) I don't know how you would spell that. It's like, I am... I don't know how you spell ma, but anyway, whatever. Stop getting on a tangent. Um, <laughs> we're totally going to figure out how to spell that. I'm going to need you to show up different. <laughs> the, I mean, the, here's the deal. Reach out to someone before you're going to have that conversation and ask them to help give you that courage. Um, and maybe that is a conversation around you getting honest with what you said. You, Marie, you said earlier you complain, you complain, complain, nothing happens, and you just get more and more stressed, right? So maybe it's calling someone who won't let you get away with bullshit and letting them call you out on your bullshit and saying, what changes if you do nothing? What changes if you do something? And here's the deal. Sort of my perspective on wearing masks. I love analogies. Here's my point of view on wearing masks, okay? If you are someone who is like, I'm never wearing a mask, that's the stupid thing in the world. If masks really do help, you're the one that's about to get fucked, okay? Because you're not wearing it. (laughs) Me, the only thing that's going to, I wear masks. The only thing that's going to happen to me is I now have another fashion statement as part of my ongoing wardrobe. Like, if masks don't help, I lose nothing by wearing it. And maybe that's something people need to point out to you. If you do nothing, nothing changes. If you say something, maybe nothing changes, but nothing's going to change if you do nothing. That was a lot of nothings, and I'm sorry. So you might as well try. You might as well wear the masks and hope that it makes you safer as a human. It's an interesting perspective. 
Okay, tell me what you're thinking. Well, I think you just uh, may have lost our non-mask wearing clients on the call, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) If you have seen the ridiculously cool mask that I wear, I would win you back because masks can be a fashion statement. And we might just post a picture on realtalent.com with Michelle Done. and a picture of her wearing a face mask. Done. <laughs> She's going to sell and, you on this. And I have enough that I can wear a different mask for two straight weeks, a different style. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, here, here's my thought process. So essentially, you know, we're looking at it on you personally hate your job. But we also look at it from a client's perspective that you are an HR or you're an executive at a company, you own your own business, and you've done a pulse survey or an org health survey in your company. And there are literally team members that or employees that are responding to the surveys stating that they don't trust their peers, they don't feel like they're supported, they don't feel like they can go to their peers, there's no teamwork and collaboration. A lot of those teamwork and collaboration responses and surveys are not tied to the people leader, although it is, um, you know, a concern of the people leader because they should be aware of that. But I think we also need to highlight, Michelle, how we help our owners of businesses and our HR departments identify the lack of, of teamwork and engagement and the concerns of a volatile relationship amongst coworkers, peers, cross-departmental, doesn't even, I mean, it's tough. Like if you think about it, like a people leader, you know, in one department doesn't necessarily understand how two people interact cross-departmentally that might need to leverage each other for assignments and projects and how they collaborate. And that there's volatility there because maybe that people leader and the other people leader of that other department are like buddies or they go out to work. So like, you're not sure if you can say anything to your people leader because you don't want to create hostility cross-departmentally or with that other person. So it's interesting how you navigate around this as a business. It is. And I think, so how could we help or, or where do you start? I think it starts by finding someone who can act as a consultant in a discovery meeting. Um, And if you have HR as part of your team, I think what becomes important is that they have to put on the discovery consultant hat versus the my job is to execute on policies and procedures hat um, because they're two different things. Um, Or you could hire someone who does that professionally Um, And you can reach out to us at realtalent.com. But (laughs) we would come in and we would really start by finding out who the key stakeholders are and doing some really quick discovery meetings. So um, when I say really quick, I know that historically HR can be one of those places where you you talk um, and you research and you look for a really long time. Maria and I, one of the things that makes us different is that we come from organizations that move pretty quickly, maybe too quickly in some cases. But as a result of that, you have to get through that consultation and that discovery phase super fast. You have to collect 
the information as quickly as you can. And then we start to make recommendations. Um, And maybe that recommendation is that we go in and we look at an entire department. Um, There are some incredible things that you could do to help bring um, the camaraderie in a department together. Now, I say camaraderie um, and not relationship or friendship because, hey, you know what? Some groups will always perform well and it'll be like, yeah, we good. That's my work person, right? And they're never going to be buds. They're never going to go bowling and have beers together. But at work, they work together effectively. Um, And there's some really great resources uh, that can do that. There's some incredible stuff, uh, the five dysfunctions of a team, right? Where you can start to build some activities around the five functions of an effective team. So if we know that there are five reasons that teams break down, that means you can identify the opposite of those, which are the five things that pull a team together. Um, And you build activities around that um, and discussion around that so that you bridge that communication gap within that team so that they're working effectively at work. Here's the deal. They don't have to be buddies. They don't have to go fishing with each other on the weekend, um, but they do have to work together effectively. That is the only way you are getting performance that you're paying for, right? Is if they all show up and work together effectively. Um, I've actually seen the five dysfunctions partnered with escape rooms where um, they actually have some certified folks who watch the interactions of the team during that process of the escape room. One of the values of a situation like that is you take them out of the comfort of their work zone. Um, People tend to demonstrate their authentic personality when they are uncomfortable. The real in people comes out when they are frustrated and uncomfortable. And so by taking them out of the work environment and putting them in these hypothetical situations, um, I've also seen um, where they didn't want to go to that tactical, but I've, I've seen us do scenarios, the Black Bear scenario, where you as a team are given this scenario where um, you're out on a hike together and one of you is injured in the process. Um, and you're told all of the resources that you have, um, what your obstacles are, and what you need to save the life of the person that was injured. And as you go through that process, you get scored and rated on how you're interacting with each other. And then those pair up with the dysfunctions to help you understand where you're struggling and what skills you need to work on. Final thing, though, so there's a lot of stuff we can do from a team perspective, but frankly, sometimes it is just coaching a person. It is, you said it, Maria, there's always that person. Um, I like to call that person Karen um, instead (laughs) because I'm trying to be all hip and cool. But um, we have that Karen, that Karen that you've tried to give feedback. Maybe her peers have tried to give her feedback. Um, And she just isn't progressing forward. Maybe this is the time for an external person to come in and partner with her. You as the leader, you put some clear parameters around the expectations of that coaching. You would schedule check-ins with that person 
Um, one of the things to be upfront about when it comes to coaching is the conversations with a coach and a and the person they're supporting. Those conversations are confidential. However, what we do is we facilitate the connection of you as a leader with that employee and you guys together discuss what happened in that coaching session. It is a completely different perspective. And one of the values of that kind of environment is we can start immediately applying the coaching suggestions to the problems they're facing every day. So it's not putting them in a hypothetical ground bear situation. It's calling them out and saying, who are you struggling with? Tell me about the next conversation you're going to have to have with them. Tell me how you're going to handle it. Here's what I would suggest versus this. Here's what I would suggest versus what if you did this instead of this? And then you actually help coach them on the things that they are going to do at work. And it becomes, you start to see results if the person is going to change behavior fast. Um, If you don't see results fast, the person's probably not changing behavior. Yeah, listen, and if you don't actually execute on these changes and make impact within your team and with that Karen, you are going to find yourself losing the good people as opposed to the Karen. So you're going to really have to focus on your day-to-day priorities to make sure that that's effective for your team and you have the right team in place. Otherwise, Karen's going to be very toxic and it's going to be the bad apple that drains the rest of your team out. And the loudest person on your team, which is often Karen, they are the person that decides what the culture of your team is going to be. Um, And so you will never remove that toxicity, as long as you allow Karen to be the person that rules the roost. So guys, there are solutions and they're not comfortable solutions, but absolutely one of the things that helps you get to a place where you're willing to approach the conversations is support from someone who challenges you to do better. Um, One of the things and one of the reasons that we started this organization is because we believe work can and should be a great place. We do believe that work should be work where performance happens, but it should be a great place. So um, if you're struggling as a company or if you're struggling as an individual, please reach out to us. Our only goal is to get you what you need so that your work becomes a great place to be. Agreed. So we will continue our episode, uh, our series on uh, I Hate My F and Job. So stay tuned for the next episode, everyone. See you later. Take care. Until next time. Bye, guys.